it is it is absurd for the free-thinking, independent woman and the successful American man to walk in a back alley to look on a bloody cross with a man that looks very, very gruesome and is hanging on it. It's completely absurd to us that that man is Lord. It's absurd. We, We especially... Not as people from connection, but we especially as people that live in the greatest country in the world are spoiled brats. And I hate telling you that, but it's true. So I won't apologize. Yeah, that's hot. I'm not going to apologize for the things that I'm going to say today because the things that I'm going to say today don't just come from this book written by a mere mortal man, but they come from a book that's written about a really, really awesome book. It's this one. It's the one that has no errors that are central to the doctrine of salvation. It's what says that that man hanging on a tree is the one that we have to go through to get to God. If you have, if you have at all cracked this book open... So I have people that told me they've already got another highlighter from Walmart. Okay, Maybe we should have bought stock. I don't know. Uh, but they said that they've got notes written everywhere in it. Um, connect group leaders, if you're in, in the room, uh, a lot of people have told me they're going to bring a lot of questions to you. So sharpen up on your genius skills for connect group this week. I'm just kidding. But they are gonna, you're going to bring some questions to group. Plug into a connect group this week. You do not... I guarantee you, in a a group this big, because I've already had people come up to me and tell me this, and if I'll be the only one, I'll just be the only one. But there's probably not a single person in here that has not dealt with a five-letter word spelled D-O-U-B-T about their faith. You've dealt with doubt before. You've dealt with questions. You've dealt with things. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to have a relationship with God? Quite frankly, my mere mortal words can't touch it. You can't do it. Why does God love me so much? I have no clue. Because I can't answer why God loves me so much. Because He loves me because He loves me because He loves me because He loves me. It's a question that I'll answer one day in heaven. Before we get started this morning into our worship. You can see in your worship handout that, that there are some... There's a lot of different scripture, okay? Don't, don't, don't kill yourself. Flip them back and forth and look at the table of contents. You can if you want to. But we're going to have all these scriptures on the screen. What I would very much love for you to do is to look at these, pick a couple of these and just do them once a day. Do a devotion with these scriptures and look back at them as we look at them this morning. Uh, but all these are going to be on, on the screen. And we're going to take a look at four very funny words. Ones that you and I don't deserve for God to have even have said or even have offered. But the whole gist of salvation, the whole gist of having a relationship with Christ, the whole entire gist of the Bible is the title of the sermon. Jesus in my place. You don't deserve it and neither do I. But He did. Thank God. This week... 
on Friday. If you're available, if you're a morning person, I can. We, we will serve a lot of coffee. How about that? If you if you are free on Friday morning, you can come out here. Uh, you say, well, man, what what's what what's what's early to you? Well, I'm going to be out here about quarter to five. Some of you are like, that exists on the clock? Yes, it actually does. Um, and no, I'm not going to go hunting before I come to church. Okay, I'm coming to church. We're going to serve breakfast to about 40 uh, coaching people on the coaching staff and, and football players from Mount Vernon High School here on this Friday. If you can help, if you want to bring something before work, you can drop it by. Uh, we're going to eat about 7, so if you want to come help maybe before work, come and talk to me afterwards. We can always use uh, people to help and clean up and, and dish, do dishes and stuff. But we are going to get into that. And the connect groups... The connect groups that we have, if you open all, all the way up, they do meet this week and next week, right here in the middle. Right here in the middle. There's a Wednesday night group here, there's Tuesday, uh, there's two on Monday, there's three on Sunday. Um, there's a lot of different groups going on and we're all going over. Stop asking Jesus into your heart. I know. If, you, if it's your first time to connection and you say, wow, they're going over a book that says, stop asking Jesus into your heart. I kind of thought that was the point. It is. Scripturally, it is. Having a relationship with Jesus is. But this is a study that we're doing that deals with doubt. How to know for sure you're saved. Or to use a non-church word, how to know that you have a relationship with Christ. How do I know that I can receive heaven when I die? Before we get into this sermon, I want to pray for us. I want to pray that God will speak to us, but I also want to have a time of prayer if you would join me from wherever you are. And uh, just pray for the people that are in the path of an absolute monstrosity of a storm this morning. In some places, the ocean has gone away. It's coming back now, but uh, the power of this storm, many of you probably have friends, acquaintances, I do. I have a friend that lives north of Naples and he is still at home. Pray for him. His name's Randy. Uh, but I'm going to pray for those people. I'm going to pray for us this morning that we can see God's heart and what He wants us to hear. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for this day. And God, I just ask that You remove me. God, that I, that I just be hid by your, by your words this morning. It's not about me. It's not about anybody except You. God, I ask that You open our hearts and our minds that we can hear You speak to us in a way that maybe we haven't heard in a very, very long time. And God, we pray for the people that are in the southeastern United States right now. God, we, we don't understand and we can't answer the reasons why this stuff happens other than we can stand firmly that You're sovereign and You are complete hope and truth and correctness. And that God may be through this, through this storm and someone helping afterwards that there may be many relationships built on your son through a disaster. God, that you be with the rescue people, be with the people that are going to put these places back together again in the cleanup. God, keep the people safe. God, we love you. Be with us this morning in this small room as we dive into the most important question of our entire existence. Who are you to us? We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. This is the second week of this study. Last week, if you remember with me, I'm going to try to do a little bit of review. Uh, we will get those sermons. Uh, we had a hiccup this week. We're going to get the sermons online very, very quickly. Uh, hopefully have both of last week and this week up before Wednesday so you can check them out on our, on our website. 
Um, last week we talked about that God wants us to know that we have a relationship with Him. He wants us to know. He doesn't want to be confusing. God's not a God of confusion. He wants, he wants us to know. If you remember, I had, I had somebody come up to me last week and say, I'd never heard of how you talked about the sacrifices, but we looked at the Old Testament sacrifice. And when the man, the husband of the house, would sacrifice the lamb for his family, he would put his hand on the head of the sheep, transferring his family's sins onto, onto the sacrificial lamb, and they would sacrifice it. And today what that looks like is us reaching out our hand and putting it on the head of Jesus who's already paid the price for all of your stuff. See, some people have come in this door this morning and they don't know me very well and they may not know anybody else in here, but they can understand one thing. They're struggling through this life. Here's the deal. Here's the, here's the awesome part. Jesus Christ was sent from heaven to die for every single thing you've ever done wrong or will ever do wrong. And He died for you. And maybe you've never heard that before, but please listen to me. Those aren't my words. It's in here. This morning we're going to... I mentored a couple guys this week and I told them about this word and... When I mention this, it's a seminary word, okay? It's, it's a word that's not used very often. And I told them this, both, both these guys, this word, and we were sitting in my office in Hardee's, and uh, that's where my office is. And I, was, I, said, I said, hey, we're going to go over this word this week. I, wanna, I just want to know what you think about it. And I said, propitiation. And they go, what? <laughs> they both, one of them kind of did this. I said, do you, do you understand what that means? Mm, no. <laughs> propitiation what, what, we're going to go over this word what, is, what does the gospel mean how do we define what the gospel we hear this word all the time what is the gospel the gospel is the life ministry death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ it's what he did for us the gospel is the story of Jesus how he was fully man he was fully God he died for our sins God raised him from the dead but the, the meaning, the gospel can be fully defined in four words. And yes, they're the title of your sermon. They're also the first blank in your worship handout if you're taking notes. Look on the screen. The gospel is fully defined in four words. Jesus is, I'm sorry, Jesus in my place. This is the definition of propitiation. It's atonement. It means that Jesus took on the payment and He paid for something that you deserve. This is going to hit a lot of people close to home this morning. Because sometimes we walk around earth. I, thought, I said this last week. Sometimes we walk around this earth and we walk around with an arrogance. Let me tell you something. You haven't done anything on this world to be able to walk around like that spiritually. Zero. In fact, you and I are both in the negative. Because you have to start perfect to be able to walk with arrogance. And the only person we see in the history of the world that even has the application to say, I can walk in arrogance, even speaks in the Sermon of the Mount. He says, no, you got to be humble. What? Come on, Jesus. You know, write Philippians 4.13 on your shoes or something. You know, pop your jersey. Do something like you're the man. And he says, listen, I'm just living out my life. He begins to heal people. He teaches people. He brings life to people. And instead of getting his name on an all-star jersey and voted into the all-star game, they kill him. Man. Listen, the gospel is defined in four words. Jesus 
in my place. We're going to look at a courtroom this morning. Some of you have heard this analogy. Many of you may have, but many of you may not have. When Jesus died in our place, it appeased the penalty for our sin. Romans, many of you are familiar with this. In Romans, Paul writes to these people and he says, the wages of your sin is a vacation to Hawaii. No, he says, the wages of your sin is what? Death. Do you understand that the very first sin that you committed in your entire life sentenced you, literally, spiritually, sentenced you to hell? God has never sinned. He's completely holy. He can't even be around sin. We're going to look at a guy from the Old Testament that had a vision and just by looking what he felt. God is ultimately holy. You and I cannot even imagine how good He is. When we sin, we deserve death. That's the wages. Paul says, you do the work, this is what you get paid. Wow. This is what I did. Alright, can you imagine this? You get, you get a paycheck from your employer, and you open it up, and it says, pay to the order of your name, and the amount in the box is death. You owe your life. Listen, we all had that check written. All of us. And some of us, some of us, it still says our name on the bottom of the check where we signed it. But some of us, thank God, we don't have our signature there anymore. Because Jesus said, no, no, no. No, this one, this one believes in me. This one asked me to be the Lord of their life. I've asked people this question before. You can ask yourself this question if you want to. Jesus can be three things. He can either be the greatest liar on the face of the earth, pull off the coolest magic tricks in the world. He can either be a liar. He can either be a lunatic, that he literally was just nuts, or he can be Lord. See, if you, if you don't understand the gospel, or you, you say, oh, there's no way, there's no way this is true, you're calling Jesus a liar, and coming to this earth was just a waste. But the gospel is Jesus in my place. Because of our sin, we should die without hope. Some of you come and go, man, this is not exactly the uplifting sermon I was really looking for. Oh, it is, though. Because when you understand the mountains and heaps of stuff that you've been forgiven of, you should go out of this place dancing. I don't care if you do. Okay? But when you take a really good look at how you got where you are today, and what God has done in your life, if He's a part of your life, and you see what He's done, why in the world do we walk around earth as spiritual Eeyores? Why? Why do we walk around, oh, I'm so good. Listen, I'm guilty of this. Somebody asked me this morning, how was your week? I said, mm-hmm. <laughs> anybody ever have a week that's literally described like that? And I choose, and I chose for that instant to say, oh yeah. All the while I can see with both eyes, I can walk with both legs. I drove a vehicle here that I own. I live in a house that doesn't leak. I'm not, I'm not facing a hurricane this morning. I'm coming to a dry building where there's people that love me. Praise God. 
I serve a God that forgave me for what I've done. And that's not even topic for discussion today. Because you don't have time. Why would I not be happy? Because life happens. And we let it drag us down. And we get negative. We're really good at getting negative. And we often tend to grade our sin. We walk around very... Listen, I do too. We walk around very arrogantly like this. Wow. But I don't sin like that person. And I'm better than you. And I'm better than you. And I don't I don't struggle with that anymore. And well you do. And and, and we and we have this wild, crazy, fake imaginary thing that we think that we can walk around and grade other people's sin and we can't look at ourselves. There's a really funny story that goes along with how I just described that. And there's a Pharisee that came into the temple and he literally says, thank God I'm not a sinner like that guy. Are you kidding me? We walk around with this arrogance. We say, oh, I just don't sin that much. I know. <laughs> My dad didn't tell me this very much. But I, I, I think it fits very much right now with me and maybe with some of you. When we walk around with such arrogance and we want to even think or say some of these things, I think literally that God sits in heaven and He goes, will you just shut your mouth? Will you just shut up? Because you don't understand how much your junk cost me. And we, are, we just walk around. Oh, I don't care if I hurt that person. Their problem. Get off your high horse. Understand that you don't even deserve to stand there because you don't. You think you do. And we want to just say, oh yeah, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. All the while God is just saying, well you just be quiet. You have no idea what this costs me. And you're just bathing in it. You're playing these weird, wild games and saying, oh look at me. We're all guilty. If you look at, a, at the courtroom scene, can you imagine this? One day we're all going to give an account for what we've done, by the way. You're standing here. The judge is God. Imagine. We think we know anxiety. Think about this. God's the judge and He says, Matt, stand up. You know I don't want to stand up. Because you and I both know if you were sitting in the same chair that I'm sitting in, when you stand up, you're completely 100% guilty. You're 100% guilty. And you have no, there is nothing in your life that you can say, well, God, I led this person to Christ and I really, I really did really good on this day, September, September 10th, 2017. I, did a really, I had a really good day. What is that? He goes, it doesn't mean anything. You didn't do anything. And a lot of times we hear this this story is Jesus standing beside us. I saw a really cool picture this week in my studies. I used to think, yeah, Jesus is standing beside me. And He goes, no God, this one's, this one's with me. You know what this picture actually looks like? God has called you to the stand. He's asking you what you've done. Jesus walks up to you. He takes you off. And He sits down. He says, anything that this person has done, put, you've already put it on me. He goes free. Think about that. The next time that we want to be so arrogant and that we have it almost all together or we don't do it as bad as they do or heaven forbid you need to apologize to somebody, do it! Because you don't understand what it costs. 
We don't have any clue what it costs, the pain. Jesus isn't the defense lawyer. Jesus took your physical place. The death that you deserve to die was for slaves and barbarians. Jesus Himself was crucified in between two thieves. Are you kidding me? We don't understand. Look look on the screen. We're going to be in Romans 8, just for a second. Romans 8, verse 18. Paul here, he's already gone through the wages of sin in chapter 3 and, and he, he almost in Romans 10.9 where we talked about last week that you call upon the name of the Lord and the church word says you shall be saved. Look at verse 18. It says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. In your head right now, I want you to think about the week that you've had. The month that you've had. The year you've had. When Paul talks about suffering, by the way, to these people, he's not saying um, suffering. This is, he's talking about persecution. Okay, Persecution. So we're not talking about, well, I don't have this or I don't have this. Think about your last week, your month, your last year. Of the difficulties you've had trying to do what God's wanted you to do. Because we all know what that means. We all know what that looks like. In, in verse 19 it says, For all creation is waiting. Look at this. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who His children really are. All of creation is waiting. In verse 20 it says, Against its will, all creation will be, or was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. The world screams. Paul says we will struggle and we will suffer in this life. Paul gave his life for this, by the way. He was thrown in jail countless times. He was beaten. But too many times, we give credit to the wrong thing. We give credit to the struggle. The struggle knocked me down. And we always concentrate on the struggle, on the struggle, on the struggle. If you always concentrate on the struggle, you will not have a tendency to understand and learn from what God wants you to go through that for. He wants to teach you something. When's the last time you said, God, I'm not getting along with this person. What do I need to do to fix it? See, some of us walk around, walk around the world, I've been guilty of this, and we say, well, I can't get along with this person, I definitely don't get along with this person. Have you ever thought about what the common denominator is in that situation? It's you, and it's been me. Our relationships are broke, the world is broke. Followers of Jesus will struggle. We are to show the rest of the world what it looks like to be a child of the King. This can be hard. This can be dif- this can be difficult. I've shared with many of you before. A guy walks up to me. I didn't get rehired. I didn't do anything wrong. The, the teacher was going to come back. I didn't have a job starting the next fall. And he's at the copy machine, and he said, "Why are you whistling?" I thought he had a problem with me whistling. 
I'm just doing this. And he goes, I want you to quit whistling. I'm sorry. My bad. Then I realized it wasn't about the whistling at all. He goes, how in the world can you be so happy and you don't have a job next fall yet? I said, well, the way that teachers get paid, they're prorated, and you get 12 months pay, and you technically work a little over nine months at the school, but, you, but I get a paycheck till August, and I have until, it was March or February, and I said, I have, I have plenty of time to find another one. He goes, you don't have, he repeated like I didn't hear him. He said, you don't have a job. I know. I mean, you don't think I know this. Yes, I know this. And he said, why are you, and he said this, he says, why are you so stinking happy? It's like he wanted me to be upset. He wanted me to just walk through the hallway just like a crazy person. He goes, why are you so happy? I said, I can't just, I can't, I can't wait to see how God's going to work this out. What? I said, in my own whole entire life, God has never let me down. Not one time. Not one time. I've shoveled, I said, I've shoveled my neighbor's snow off their driveway to buy groceries after I was married. I have done this. And I, I understand this. I don't have a problem working. And I said, I'll, God, God will provide. He literally looked at me like I needed medication. I'm not joking. He goes, you're clinically nuts. I said, man, God's never let me down. And I left that and I left that room very confused in my conversation, and my confusion turned to complete sadness that this guy has no idea what I know. He has no idea the hope that I have. He has no idea about all this stuff. And we concentrate on the struggles. But we don't look forward to what God can do. Look at 1 John 5.11 on the screen or in your Bible if you want to turn there. Look at this. And this is what God has testified. Now, I love this. If, you, if you're in your Bible or you go to this sometime this week, will you, because God can't lie, will you just underline this? And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son, which is Jesus. So here we have in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And in 1 John 5, 11, God says, the only way you get to me is through my Son. One of these things is similar. It's all about Jesus. You can go to the Old Testament. You can go to Revelation. I don't care where you go. If you're looking at systematic theology and themes that go through the Bible, guess where they all point? To Christ. They all point to Him. So if God writes this, so if God inspires this for John to write, and this is what God has testified, He has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. You think He's joking? Of course not. God is not joking. He, now, look at this. Reflect back on our book. Do you think that God wants us to know? Yeah! Why? How do we know that He wants us to know? These are pretty plain instructions. My uncle built me something, uh, and he and he gave him to me this weekend. <laughs> and I asked him a crazy question. I already knew the answer. And some of you work like this with wood, and it just makes me sick. Okay, I said, "So, what kind of directions did you use on this?" He goes, "I didn't. I can't build a square box with instructions. 
And he built this whole elaborate thing and it's octagon shaped and the lid's removed. You can do this and this and there's... And I'm like, I don't even... Dude... He goes, well, I did this and this and this. Instantly, he was like a Greek professor, and it was just going, vroom, vroom. He goes, well, if you do this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and this you can do this. And I'm like, they're pretty. <laughs> and I, said, I said, they're pretty and they're heavy. They won't move. He knew how to do it. But he didn't follow any instructions. Yet about 17 or 18 years ago, when he was building his house, he had to use instructions. With his hands and another couple guys, built a 6,200 square foot house by himself. If he didn't follow the instructions, number one, it wouldn't be to code. And, you know... Maybe you've been in the house before. Maybe you live in a house where it's, it's really good practice putting. You get any good breaks in your house. You know, the floor door's just a little bit off. You know, you put the ball in. He had to use instructions. So God says, I want you to understand completely 100% that the only way that you get to a relationship with me is through Christ. It's not around Christ. It's not under Christ. It's not over Christ. It's not anything except right through Him. And it's right through Him like this. This is where He paid it. He paid the price for everything that you've ever done on a tree that in John 1.1 says that He grew it. Hmm. The only way to God is through the bloody, stained, heavy cross of Christ. That's it. Look at the next blank on your worship handout. The only hope you and I have in spending eternal life in heaven is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Period. Exclamation point. And I can tell you this. Take it to the spiritual bank. We're told far too many times in the New Testament, the Old Testament points to this, the sacrificial lamb. Listen, when Jesus was walked out of Jerusalem, He walked through the lamb's gate. The sheep gate. How much more do you need? He was the sacrifice for all of our sins. So we're sitting up here. God's the judge. And we're sitting right here in our seat. And we're just, we're just, you're totally, completely, absolutely condemned to die and go to hell. Period. No hope. No second chances. No sixth grade kickball redos. Nothing. You're done. You're done. And Jesus gets up Walks over and says, Come here. And he sits down. Because he's already stretched out his arms. Sitting down is no problem. He's already paid for it. He's already paid for it. So this book, when we look into this, this lesson, which is going to be next week, we're looking at how, how intimate this relationship is. The intimacy in which Jesus talks about the church being His bride is intimate. Some of you that have a spouse, you've been in a relationship, or you've been in one before, and you understand what serious, what true love is. It's far beyond that. As much as we can try to imagine. 
But the only hope that you and I have in spending eternal life in heaven is through the cross of Jesus Christ. There are so many religions in this world. I battled, I sent information to a person last night on a religion that does not say this. Well, they, they say this, I said. <laughs> I don't want to be arrogant in my answer. But I'm going to tell you this. Based on the Holy Scriptures of God, they are 100% wrong. The only way they inherit heaven is through the cross and forgiveness of the payment of our sins by Jesus. And there are many religions that say this. <laughs> Keep a check mark of what you do. Give to this person. Make sure you give this much money to charities. Make sure, make sure you do this. Make sure you don't do this. Make sure you, you don't say this more than this many times. Make sure that you do this. It's not about you. So many times, we as Americans, no joke, David Platt had it absolutely right. We walk around this world very arrogant and we think we have it all together. And we are 100% in desperate need of a Savior to save our spiritual life. And some people are walking around this world with blinders on. That's some new studies. Is it the Illinois offering you can give to it this week or next week. There's offering envelopes out there in the, in the, in the lobby. But there's some surprising statistics. Illinois approaching a really awesome number of 75% almost of people that live here that don't have a relationship with God. 75%. And I found it really, really wild several years ago when we had a missionary. We had missionaries come to our church. We talked about where they, where they were in the world and all this stuff. And one day my dad brought a missionary in. He was talking to our church. And I don't know, he was from Africa somewhere. And uh, Tamala, is it Tamala? Might have been his last name. Um, and I was talking to him and I said, Man, you're a missionary from Africa. Where are you serving? <laughs> Illinois. That doesn't hit you in the face with a spiritual tennis racket. Nothing else I'm going to say will. He came from Africa to hear to share the gospel of Jesus. Because we can't evidently do it at Kroger. I don't know. Listen, we're all, we're all in this together. We have to do what we have to do to share God's love. This is essential payment. The cross of Christ, it's, it's, it's essential. When Jesus hung on the cross, the whole entire wrath of all humanity of sin was poured on His Son, and for a brief instant we see a separation, a voluntary separation in the Godhead that had never happened before. Almost divorcing His Son, God poured everything He had on His Son. All the sins of all humanity that would ever, ever happen or had ever happened to be the payment, the propitiation for their sin. He was. He gave up his life on the cross. They put him in. They put him in a grave. They rolled a stone in front of it. And three days later, God says, "I don't think so." And he rolled the stone away. And he raised his son back from the dead. Why? Because death to human people is it. It's final. Jesus even conquers death. <laughs> you imagine the look on those Roman guards' face. God whispered these sweet words. Wake up. Arise. And he comes walking out. Our payment 
has been paid. If you're, if you're waiting on Jesus to come back and to do this again, let me tell you something. If you're waiting on the, on the Messiah, listen, I have, I, have, I have people that I know that are still waiting on the Messiah. In their, in their sect of their religion, they do not think that He's been here yet. He's already been here, folks, and He's, getting, he's not going to do what He did again. Do you know why? This is a really cool question. Do you know why Jesus is not going to do what He did again? Because He doesn't have to. Once was more than enough. I remember that. I remember that. Listen, I'm a kid of you know, the 90s. Whenever, not only did we start hearing a lot more Christian music, but the videos on the videos that they made for these songs were just awesomely not good. Anyway, but, <laughs> they're really fun to look back at. Have you seen the courtroom song with Carmen, This Blood? Have you seen this? And he's just getting pounded and pounded and pounded and a drop of blood comes off the cross of Christ and it hits on the scales and it completely shoves his, his guiltiness to innocence because of what Jesus had done. Look at, the next, look at the next verse in First John 1.8. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. We, we can, you can sit here today, you can stand here today, you can listen online, wherever you're hearing this, and you can say, hmm, pretty good. You ever have one of those days? I do. You ever have one of those? You know what? Today, I was not a total and complete idiot. You don't have these days? You guys are a lot better than me. Okay, I, I walk around and say, you know what? I actually thought I did pretty good today. And then God begins to remind me of the things that I either neglected to do or the things that I did incorrectly. Oh, See, when we, when we say, hey, Paul says our best days are still like filthy rags. Our best days are still like filthy rags. And when he's talking about filthy rags... He's not talking about dish towels that you've used for five days in a row. Do you want to know the explanation of that? I can do it later. Okay, You don't need to hear it right now because it's disgusting. But he says that's you on your best day compared to God. On your best day, that's what you look like. That's what you smell like. It's what, it's, you're, you're awful. You're horrible. You're gross. We have to be cleaned up. He's taking a swing at the false teachers. The false teachers of this day, first century. I love what David Platt says when we wear, we wear crosses around our neck today. And listen, you, some of you, you know, you're putting your cross in your shirt. Don't do that. You can wear your cross fine, okay? But he says, literally, you, you wouldn't have done that in the first century. It was the worst form of death ever. You wouldn't have just said, hey, I'm a fan of the cross killings. No, no, you're not. No. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. These false teachers would say this. If you sin, it doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. Sound familiar? It's like 2017 in America, doesn't it? Do whatever you want. Makes you feel good, do it. So here, from here we go. The big thing is they didn't see any need for repentance. They could do it on their own if they followed enough rules. Look at, look at in the Old Testament on, your, on, your, on, your, on the screen right now. Look at this. Isaiah. All-star prophet, Old Testament. Now check this out. He's having a vision of heaven. Notice how his vision... If you want to go back and read this, look at how his vision and John's vision in Revelation really, really, really come close. 
Really? Now look at this. Then I said, it's all over. (laughs) He's talking about himself. He's literally looking at the presence of God and he says, it's all over. Oh, bought the farm today. (laughs) Kick the bucket. I'm done. I'm toast. He says, it's all over. Look what he says. I am doomed. Why? Because I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, yet I've seen the King, the Lord of Heaven's armies. He gets a glimpse, snapshot, of Heaven and God and His holiness and the angels. And He says, I can't do it. I will surely die. It's all over. What we have to do here is we have to see how holy God is. It's very difficult for us to think about. But how holy... One sin separates you. You're, can I do some quick math for you? You're, you've all already flunked. Me too. The test is over. And you've all sinned. At least one time. Now some of you are going, yeah, there was that one time. Well, you are good. You are way gooder than me. Okay? It says, I'm doomed. I have no hope. I have filthy lips. And I've seen, he talks about the king, he's talking about God. I've seen perfection. Surely I won't be able to live past this. Isaiah realized something that we need to realize. He realized these adjectives about himself. You ready? That we're sinful. You're in constant need of Jesus Christ. Period. Exclamation point. Let's change that. Exclamation. You're, you're in constant need of Christ and his, and his movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. He was sinful. He was fleshly. It's pretty much 2017 America. He was a hopeless man without God. In verse 7, if you go on past this, you, you check this out. In verse 7, um, Isaiah's lips are touched with a burning coal. Fire. It, goes, it flashes back to a refining fire. Everything is purified with fire. And, and the coal in this vision is touched to his lips, removing his guilt, removing his sin. And then God asks this question. He says, Who will be my messenger? Who will be my messenger? Who will go? And Isaiah said, Well, Jeremiah will be. He'll be along pretty soon. No. He says, Here am I. Send me. God has done so much stuff in your life. If you have a relationship with Him, God has done so much stuff in your life and the only thing that we want to do is we want to walk around like everything's bad, everything's just awful. And you're holding literally something in your hand that is more powerful than the cure to cancer. If you have a relationship with God, it's bigger than cancer, folks. It's bigger. It's bigger than a bad day. It's bigger than a bad year. It's bigger than a divorce. It's bigger than a broken friendship. It's bigger than a wreck. It's bigger than losing a son or daughter or the pain that you've gone through in your life. It's bigger than all of this. And you walk around with this hope and this complete cure in your hand with people that are suffering. I do too. All around us. We just should be sweating Jesus wherever we go. People need to hear it. Look at 1 John. He goes back. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. So John writes this. He says, My dear children, that was nice of him, wasn't it? You remember how some of this can be so sharp? And he says, 
My dear children. We think about that. Sometimes I have, I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. I get notes all the time. Letters, cards, handwritten stuff. Open it up. So, and if you have children, if you've ever seen this before, I get these huge pieces of construction paper folded up as tightly as I can and I open it all the way up. Sometimes they just bless me and tape it too. And I just I'm, I'm, I open it all the way up and, it, and it, I open this huge thing up and I say, I love you. Some of the most precious letters I've ever received include construction paper, crayons, and tape. Much, lots of tape. But those are my kids. And if you have children, you understand what I'm talking about. Those are my girls. That's why I have guns. I'm just kidding. Okay. Okay. <laughs> They are very, very... Actually, I'm really not joking about that. They're very, very precious to me. I would do anything I could in the entire world to protect them. But if your life is based on me sending one of those girls to die for you, I have really bad news for you. Well, that's kind of mean. Would you do it for me? See, John here, John in this stage of his life is an older man. This is, this is beautiful. He's an older guy. He's been doing the work of God in his life for a very long time. And he says this, My dear children, you know what that means? It means the father of the faith. He's mentored. He's taught people. He has people that are, that are spiritually descending off of him that are going to change the world. He's my dear children. He cares for these people. He loves them. He says, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. I'm sorry. Time out. So that you will not sin. Says, but I love how he puts this in here. But just in case, <laughs> aren't you glad that there's a but? Just in case, real, real quick. Says, but but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. This is the courtroom scene. He's Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. This man had probably the closest relationship with Jesus on this earth. He's called the beloved disciple. He was at the ascension when Jesus went back to heaven. He helped find an empty tomb. He was one of the very first ones. He was able to heal people. He was a great preacher. He was also, because of his faithfulness, rewarded with exile onto an island off of Greece for the rest of his life. Oh, joy. He was also boiled in oil, yet that didn't kill him. And he says, my dear children, please listen to me. You have an advocate that has already paid for your sin. He's Jesus. And he's the only one. Look at that. John was a good man. But he was still a sinful man. He says, he's the only one that's righteous. In verse 2, he himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Listen, if there is a pi- just a pile of altar wood that's on fire, and you have to lay here, Jesus literally took you off of that. He said, no, I'll lay there. He did this for you. I can't Im- you we can't even understand. Can you imagine standing in a room... And having God, not a person, but having God utter every single thing that you've ever done wrong at one time. 
Folks, I doubt if we could even sit or stand. We would probably be laying, shaking in the fetal position on the ground. I don't mean that to be funny. I'm being very serious. You understand the magnitude of the things that you've done and how much bigger the sacrifice of Jesus was for that stuff and you don't even have to do it. He himself is a sacrifice that atones. I love this. This is coming. This is coming from around the first the first century. People, look at this. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. He's already a follower. Okay, he's already understand that Jesus is the Messiah. He, this is later in life. He says, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. How does he know that? He's been part of missionary groups that sent people out to other places. He wants to. He wants to share with these people. God finds us. Not guilty. I said that if you put your hand on the head of Christ and have a relationship with Him, God literally finds you not guilty. Maybe we haven't had enough coffee. When we place our hands on the head of Christ and profess Him with our lives, and He lives inside us, God finds your sin and your, your, your judgment. You're not guilty. Do you understand the hellish death that we deserve? You arrogant, he's talking about me. You arrogant jerk. You have no business doing this, thinking this, doing this. You don't know what it costs me. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, shows them a little bit. Look at 2 Corinthians real fast. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ. In another translation it says, Who knew no sin. Who never sinned. To be the offering for our sins, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. If you underline in your Bible, there's the magic word again. Through. It's not about you. It's all about Him. And it's through His work. Jesus paid the price so that we can be found not guilty. (laughs) If that doesn't cause you to want to dance spiritually, if that doesn't make you want to smile, that you have hope even if just anything happens today, your spiritual wood for this this, this awesome fire inside of you is soaking wet if that doesn't excite you. The fact that you can even, that God would even utter the word not guilty to me should make me fall down on my face in thanksgiving. The, the, the fact that God sees you in everything that you've done in your life, and I don't care what you've done in your life. Do you know why? It's none of my business. And some of you are going, I wonder what he's been like. It's none of your business either, and we don't have time. I can tell you a couple things about it. I've had a, I've had a uh, interesting life, and then a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have done. Maybe you can relate to that. But God says this, Matt, because you gave your life to me, because you keep coming back to me, because you keep holding on to the head of Jesus Christ in your life, I find you not guilty. Greatest thing in the world. 
when we study, we get into this, he, God is not only saying, I want you to know that you have a relationship with me, I want you to know what it cost me. I want you to know what it cost me. That we can look at this weird math problem. That God takes all of our sin, all of our grossness, all of our horrific selfishness, our ugliness, and everything, and it's paid. All we have to do is accept Him to come into our life. Look at the very last blank on your worship handout. I will stand by this until I am dead. Accepting His sacrifice, Jesus's, through, through Jesus we get to God, on our behalf, and that Jesus stands in our place, is essential for our salvation. It is essential to see that Jesus stands in our place because this has absolutely nothing to do with you and me. Zero. Other than we have to accept it. We did nothing to deserve it. We didn't do anything to pay for it. This is the only... This is what it looks like on paper of taking hold of Christ into our life. Accepting His sacrifice. Jesus, was, Jesus paid the price on, our, on the cross for our sin. On our behalf, for you and I. And that Jesus stands in our place. It's essential. You have to. There isn't anything else. It's essential. I wonder, I wonder what kind of things that we find essential. I've done this. I'll be completely honest with you. If you back out of your driveway and you don't have your cell phone, do you pull back in and get it? Yes, you do. Don't lie. You do. Me too. What's essential in your life? How often do you pick this up? I'm being serious. It's really easy. I have the app too. It's really easy. And it's a really cool way to share the Bible on social media. But I find when I do that, I don't look at that verse very good. Yep, share. Yep, tell everybody I read my Bible today. Click. I'm not getting on to anybody that does that. Okay, you don't go, well, I'm not using that Bible app anymore because that's just a jerk. Fine. <laughs> How much time do you spend reading God's Word? In here. Diving in. I've always said, we have really cool apps on, on iPads and iPhones and whatever phone you have. I, the iPhone 28 S or Plus or whatever it is now. We, they're great things. But the thing that I like about the Bible is that you can underline. You can write notes. And you can, if you do that with your other, that's, that's great. But I'm just saying, we have to get... It's essential for us. We have to eat. You have to eat physically to survive. It is essential for you as a Christian to spiritually eat too. Maybe you say, that's a jerk. I post those scriptures all the time. Please do not under, please do not leave this place and say, well, it's all about eating. Because I've been there. And I know what you're talking I know what I'm talking about. Because when I don't pay attention to something, or I don't sit down there and just and dive into it, I love notes too. I love to look at my study Bible and read the, and read the notes and what it's about. I just glance at something. I don't have I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, sweet. I can still throw 90. No, you can't. You haven't thrown a baseball in a long time. But I can. Jesus, give me the power to throw 90 miles an hour. Why? I'm not planning on getting drafted this week. That part of my life is done. But what's essential is that we eat what we're supposed to eat. And we keep up the nutrients in our body that require for us to spiritually grow closer to Jesus Christ. 
Why would, why would we give up on that? Why would we not do that? I hope you can have an opportunity this week to share with someone this book. We have extras if you want to buy some and give them away. Uh, I hope that you can share with people this week how Jesus stood and stands in your place. How He's changed your life. Maybe you met somebody that you haven't seen in 10 years. I said, man, you've changed. <laughs> Most of the time that, when they ask me, I go, yeah, and for the better. Because <laughs> God is not done with me, but he's, he's pulled me out of some pretty bad pits. Would you pray with me? God, we thank You so much for today. We thank You for the, just the Scripture that talks about the, the firmness of what we are to believe, the confidence that we can have in, in believing in Christ. That we should stop having the doubt and understand what we can stand on. That what you give us through your word is solid. And be with us, God, if we need to change things in our life. I pray for reconciliation for some people. Maybe they need to say, I'm sorry. Maybe we need to tell you we're sorry. God, we love you. We thank you for this day and this weather. God, this, this study. In your name we pray. Amen.